0: Welcome to Quarantine Seminary with Brother Isom. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in today for a scripture walkthrough of Jacob 2. This is part one of Jacob's Temple Discourse and our walkthrough of Jacob 3 will round it off. As I've said before, I think there's value in listening to this before reading, or maybe in between readings. Alright, as I said, today we are getting into Jacob's temple discourse. No doubt Jacob gave many, many discourses, but he apparently felt that this one was either representative enough or critical enough, or both, to include as the heads of his teachings, as he calls them. We'll start in verses 1-11. through Jacob has already given us, the readers, an intro where he outlines the two great sins of Nephite men, the mistreatment of women and of the poor. In our day, we tend to think of commandments in light of what we can and can't do. Jacob is going deeper than that. Commandments aren't just about what boxes you do or do not check. They are really about... The relationships that we have with each other and with God. The Nephite men have forgotten that. Let's not make the same mistake. The discourse begins with Jacob declaring his authority. He's going to magnify his office with soberness, that he might rid his garments of their blood. We touched on this last time, but this is an Old Testament priest who is teaching a Christian message. It won't be the priest or even the temple sacrifices that can atone for the blood of the people. They will need to turn to Christ. Again, we hear that Jacob is weighed down by anxiety. He's urgent in this message. He's going to try to wake them from their privilege and prosperity. One thing we need to pay attention to in Jacob's language is how he speaks about God and how he speaks about people. In verse 4, for example, God is described as the, quote, all-powerful creator of heaven and earth. In verse 21, on the other hand, he'll make it clear that, quote, all flesh is of the dust, making us remember God's words to Adam that we will all eventually return to the dust. In other words, we're mortal. Sometimes it seems inconvenient to push back against things that are becoming culturally popular. The sins that Jacob is about to call out have become accepted by a people who think they are chosen of God. If Jacob doesn't use cultural attitudes to determine what is right and what is wrong, what does he use? Could we learn from him? Jacob tells the Nephite men, It grieved my soul and caused me to shrink with shame before the presence of my Maker that I must testify unto you concerning the wickedness of your hearts. He feels a sense of responsibility for the conduct of his people before God. But more than that, he knows that the women and children of the Nephites are wounded, and to use a modern term, that his words will be triggering. He doesn't want to enlarge existing wounds. Right away we get a sense of his care and even elevation of the weak and abused in society. They are, quote, the pure in heart. And it guts Jacob that he has to address Nephite men in the plainness of the word of God, before those who don't deserve more burdens than the ones they already carry. Who are the weak, abused, pure, and brokenhearted in our society? Do we see them with the same love that Jacob has for those in his society? Next we'll move to verses 12 through 22. No more preamble. Jacob is now getting to the point His first message is that the gold, silver, and all manner of precious ores that they are finding in the land of promise are being used as status symbols. The Nephite men have begun to value human life based on a person's access to material wealth. This is a problem no matter when and where we encounter it, but this is a covenant people in a land of promise. The covenant, the land, the people were all meant to be put to use to bless, not oppress. Jacob has no patience for it. Oh, he says, that God would show you that he can pierce you with one glance of his eye, that he can smite you to the dust. And oh, that he would rid you from this iniquity and abomination. And oh, that you would listen unto the word of his commands, and not let this pride of your heart destroy your souls. Calm down, Jacob. I worked hard for what I have. The people who don't have as much as me are lazier... Or less talented, or less righteous? No, replies Jacob. Think of your brother, and like unto yourself, and be familiar with all, and free with your substance, that they may be rich like unto you. Do some people work harder than others? Of course. Are some people more intelligent than others? Sure. But the eye can't say to the foot, "I have no need of thee." If you are blessed in one area, you are expected to use those gifts to bless others. Enix people had. Quote, no poor among them. And for all of the moralizing that we can do with that phrase, Enoch and Jacob share in a vision of God's covenant people using their prosperity to bless the human family. He continues But before ye seek for riches, seek ye for the kingdom of God. And after ye have obtained a hope in Christ, ye shall obtain riches, if ye seek them. And ye will seek them for the intent to do good, to clothe the naked, and to feed the hungry and to liberate the captive and administer relief to the sick and afflicted. These are not easy instructions that Jacob is giving. If we treat them lightly, then we'll go to church, read our scriptures, pray our prayers, seek for riches, and nothing will really change. Having a hope in Christ may be hard to measure, but Jacob gives very concrete indications for measuring our hope. Clothe the naked, feed the hungry, liberate the captive, and minister relief to the sick and afflicted. Are these our desires? When we think of our desires in our future dreams, do we imagine ourselves using our prosperity to bless others? Is that our dream? You think you earned this, Jacob seems to say? God gave this to you, and he did it for a purpose. What say ye of it? Can you feel the relevancy here? A prosperous covenant people in a land of promise— getting a little too comfortable with their prosperity. If Jacob were to sit down with us, he might say something like, we need to be crystal clear about something. The one person is as precious in the eyes of God as the other. All flesh is of the dust, and God created us all for the same reason, to keep his commandments and glorify him forever, both of which we know lead back to bringing about the immortality and eternal life of his family. Be sure that you don't make the mistake of trying to repurpose God's family by devaluing them or elevating yourself. It's probably not best to get too prescriptive in this regard, especially as everyone is trying to get through this present crisis. But at the very least, I think it's appropriate to make our life plans prayerfully, asking God to put us in positions to bless others and change our hearts. On to verses 23 through 35. There's a grosser crime that Jacob needs to talk to these Nephite men about. Nephite men have been using David and Solomon to justify what he calls whoredoms. We don't exactly know what forms these whoredoms took, but they apparently had to do with men marrying more than one wife and having concubines. Jacob then starts quoting Revelation given by the Lord to Lehi and his family. I have led this people forth out of the land of Jerusalem that I might raise up unto me a righteous branch from the fruit of the loins of Joseph. Wherefore, I the Lord will not suffer, that this people shall be like unto them of old." The Lord cares how women are being treated, and one of the purposes for leading Lehi away from Jerusalem was so that Sariah and Lehi's daughters wouldn't have to suffer like women have for centuries. I, the Lord, have seen the sorrow and heard the mournings of the daughters of my people in the land of Jerusalem. Yea, and in all the lands of my people because of the wickedness and abominations of their husbands. This will be a persistent problem among the Nephites, and the Lord makes the point that if they don't change, they will be cursed. That's important language to use against Nephite men. Nephite men don't see themselves as cursed. The Lamanites are cursed, not the Nephites. Jacob wants to wake them up. Ye have done greater iniquities than the Lamanites. You have broken the hearts of your tender wives and lost the confidence of your children. Nephite men think that they are better than those poorer than them, better than women, and better than the Lamanites, and it is causing very real wounds. Maybe in light of everything we have learned so far from Jacob, we can read a popular verse in a new light. In verse 28, Jacob quotes the Lord saying, I, the Lord God, delight in the chastity of women. We've made this verse about the law of chastity, but in Jacob's view, the law of chastity isn't even about the law of chastity. It's about treating others in a way that reflects God's care and concern for his family. Yes, keep the law of chastity. But just like we are prone to misunderstand the atonement if we separate it from Jesus Christ, we are prone to misunderstand chastity if we separate it from a covenant obligation to love one another and particularly create a just society for the daughters of our heavenly parents. Not doing so may very well leave us cursed. Thanks again for tuning in today. Be sure to check back for Jacob 3 in the final parts of Jacob's Temple Discourse. Until next time, talk to you later. Quarantine Seminary is an independent podcast unaffiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints none of the views expressed here represent the official teaching or position of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our music today, as always, was provided by Dallin Isom. Be sure to check out his stuff at soundcloud.com. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on new content. Until next time, I'm your host, Mason Isom.